Oh, it may be cliche, but size does matter. That's right. Size does matter. What are we talking about? We're talking about market size and investors. As investors think about how they're going to invest in you and what that looks like, they're looking at market size. So today, sit back, take a listen as we talk investors, investing, VCs, and why size definitely matters. All today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. If you've been listening to our four-part series on investors, you've heard folks like Paul Josephak, Bruce Cleveland, you hear uh, Steve Mankoff, and you are now going to hear Maha Ibrahim. She is going to talk specifically about what her criteria is for investing. Everyone's a little different. Everyone has a different point of view. Hers, well, yeah, she wants to definitely believe in you and your ability to run this, but she is going to look at how big that market cap is and what kind of market you're going after and what does that look like and what percentage of that pie can you get. So best idea in a very small pond, probably not going to get her attention. She is also going to spend a great deal of time talking about what her role is to partner with you to help you get there. So it's not just about what you need to do to convince her, to uh, encourage her to invest in you. Oh no, it's what that long-term relationship is gonna look like between the two of you. So sit back, take a listen as Maha walks us through her criteria for investing and how to think about it as an investor and as the CEO today on the podcast. Uh, welcome, Maha. We're glad to have you on our podcast. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Why don't we start, why don't you share a little bit about your background and how you ended up here? Sure. So I have been with my firm, Canaan Partners, for 18 years. The firm is a 30-year-old venture uh, venture fund. We are bi-coastal and we're diversified in that we have tech and healthcare. I focus mainly on early stage. So that means Series A companies. Typically, they have you know, five people in a business plan, maybe some product and um, some traction with customers, but not necessarily. And I came to Canaan. I came to Canaan from Quest Communications, as you mentioned, where I was head of business development for a little while. There, the company was an upstart telecommunications company. I was working with a lot of startups in Silicon Valley, both on the infrastructure software side and data center side, but also consumer side. Uh, so the, there was kind of a natural migration over to the venture business since I was working with a lot of venture-backed startups at the time. And since then, I focused mainly on data center and infrastructure software enterprise deals, but I happen to have some fun consumer deals in uh, my portfolio as well. I'm curious if you can share a little bit about kind of how you make the, your investment decisions, right? You invest in these early stage companies. Um, they've only maybe got sort of early traction, if that. What do you look for? What's most important? What convinces you to invest? And feel free to break it up amongst consumer and enterprise uh, as appropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a distinction between consumer and enterprise. So as a, as a general rule, I'm looking for markets. So above all, I need to be investing in a company that can house a multiple billion dollar outcome. So that size of market and timing is table stakes. And if I can't see my way to there being 
a massive outcome for the company, I will not invest in it. A part of that is timing. Is the timing right for this technology, for this opportunity to really allow this company to excel and grow? When we get it wrong as early stage venture people, and by the way, we often get it wrong, it's typically because we've gotten that market size and market timing wrong. So many venture people want to uh, blame it on the team and the execution. And while that is an issue in a lot of cases, it's not usually the underlying problem, nor is it usually the underlying driver of success. Both of those are really driven by market size and market timing. So that is table stakes. Then I look at team. Is this team nimble enough? Are they intelligent enough? Are they driven enough to navigate the perils of a startup and the opportunities of a startup in this opportunity, in this time frame, in this uh, agency of life? So I'm mainly looking at those two criteria. And then in the context of enterprise and consumer, I then think about what profile of company and team will, will allow that company to grow. Okay, so that makes sense. So it's, it's market first, it's timing, and it's team in particular. Yeah? Absolutely. And, and I put those in order. So when these Many team- VCs, by the way, put them in a different order. Many VCs will say, I need to invest in team first. I just, uh, in my experience, that's just not, I, 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 that, I just can't work that way. And why is that? Is that because a great team in a small market yeah. is only going to be yeah, able to do so much? Thing. That's exactly right. And maybe they find their way towards a big market. Maybe they find their way towards a big opportunity. I would rather not take that risk. And if I do take that risk, I'd rather do it at the seed level where I maybe put in a much smaller amount. Um, I, if I'm going to invest large dollars, which to us is somewhere between, let's say, 5 to $10 million with that Series A, I'm going to invest those large dollars. I need to understand, I need to really be a believer, almost in a religious zealotry sense, that there is a massive opportunity there and that the timing is right. Let's talk about that at the moment and figuring out that market then and what um, either the investor, what either the founders need to do in coming to you and pitching to you that there is a market or sort of your due diligence. What are you expecting them to sort of come in with that will give you the confidence that there's a there there? It's funny because we just had a company in yesterday that reminded me of why your question is so important. The CEO and team need to be the chief sales officer and the chief visionary at the company. Yes, they need to execute. Yes, they need to be able to hire, dot, 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 dot. But first and foremost, they need to set the tone for the entire company and investors and customers of where the company is going, what they aspire to do. So in that first meeting, I'm really looking for a CEO to, to make me a believer. Usually they're coming in and I have some sense of the opportunity because I've either asked them in or it's an area that I spend a lot of time focusing in. So there's some familiarity with that. But having said that, in most cases, I turn down deals. In most cases, I'm, I mean, I may be investing in two companies a year out of 300 I may see. And the ones that I invest in are, are 
usually because that CEO is able to convince me that there is a massive opportunity for what they do and that they, they are uniquely positioned to take advantage of that. So again, I'm looking for that CEO to be the evangelist as well as the executor. So is that, is that story, is that um, uh, TAM analysis, is that research? I'm kind of curious to dig in here and understand sort of what convinces you. Mm-hmm. Is it all of that? Um, what is it? Yeah, at the early stage, if there was already a market for it, there would probably already be five companies in it. I am, I'm, you know, I believe in rational economics, and I just think that if, if, if everyone sees it, it's the, you know, the water, the well has usually already been filled. But I'm looking for a CEO who can come in and not necessarily give a TAM analysis, although that's nice, but usually the TAM is based on their own, they're able to talk about it based on their own experiences because they uniquely see an opportunity and a white space. So their ability to articulate what that white space is and how big that white space is and why that white space can be solved now is of utmost importance. So you've invested in a company, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. you want to help that company move forward, sort of, you know, shifting a little bit forward here. Mm-hmm. How do you advise these, these these startups, right? The potential, you see the potential, but the market may not be there yet. The product may, may not be there yet. Um, what are the next steps? What are you, um, what are you recommending to these companies to do? What are the common mistakes that you see here? Each company comes to us with a variety of different challenges and openings. So one company's challenge might be a lack of marketing expertise. One might be that, They don't have technical expertise. So I do try to tailor it for each company. Having said that, when the companies come to us, again, they're usually five people in a business plan, maybe some product, maybe some customers, but early, early. And what's important is that I help give them leverage to be bigger than they are. So one of the things that I do is to help surround them with advisors particularly in areas where they need improvement, who can, who can assist in their growth, who can assist in, in helping them under, navigate pitfalls or giving them introductions into partners that will be particularly impactful. So I really am thinking at that early stage about leverage, leverage, leverage. I think about uh, uh, using external people as advisors or board members or confidants so that the five people that you have may seem in within a year, like they're 25, whereas you may only have at that point 10 on, on staff. That's a great strategy, especially because I mean, a founder, there's no way that they can possibly have all the different expertise that they need to to grow their business. Yeah. And nor do they have all of the insight and risk appetite in many ways. Um, it, it just, it's important that, you know, so many times people used to talk about not wanting companies to blow the doors out on, and telling people what they are doing and to remain in stealth. I'm just not a fan of that stealth concept because as, as a company, as an early stage company, you need as much feedback from the marketplace as possible. Um, and you can only do that when you're talking to customers, when you're talking to partners who are kind of lived in it for a while. So is that kind of one of the major areas where 
kind of you see um, common mistakes and that you like, are there, are there common advisors or common areas where you usually see some challenges on the consumer side or on the enterprise side that you sort of start with, uh, if you will, uh, or certain things that you recommend them doing based on kind of some common patterns that you see? The, the most common mistake and it is by no means an insurmountable mistake, and it is also no means a mistake that, uh, that is, we all expect you to make this mistake. The most common mistake is to commit to your product from day one. What startups should be doing is getting a product to market and then getting as much feedback from customers and partners and advisors as possible so they can iterate, iterate, iterate. The hardest thing is when you are so committed to your product on day one that you spend so much money, so many resources blowing that product out in the market only to see it fail. One of the things I love about being on C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. That's right. It's the people that put down good time, effort, energy, and money to make this show possible. We believe in them and they believe in us. And that is a partnership that I want to encourage. So I'd appreciate if you would take a listen to this current sponsor who also loves our show as well. All right. Thanks for listening. That was fantastic. Now let's get back into the engaging conversation with Maha. Any particular advice on that process or is it just vary from depending on the type of product or uh, or business, or are there yeah. certain things you've seen companies do? It's completely variable. Um, having said that, I've certainly had companies in my portfolio where we have, where we've committed to that product from day one, only to find out that the market just wasn't there. And we've had hope, and luckily we had enough capital to be able to pivot. So my company, Kabam, which is uh, sold last year, which is a large mobile gaming company. We didn't start out as a mobile gaming company. And two iterations later, we weren't a mobile gaming company. Um, we just had that, we, we had a very, very thoughtful, smart team, very driven team that was looking for use cases of its technology and its expertise and happened to be in the right place at the right time when the mobile gaming landscape took off. Um, had they been overly committed to their technology and their use case for the technology, they never, ever would have landed where they did. Really interesting, because, yes, they are definitely a, a success story. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting they didn't mm-hmm. start, that they didn't start there. Uh, and you see this not challenge a lot. Not only did they not start there, but two pivots later, they weren't there. I mean, it took so many turns. And that was the amazing part about that team and amazing part about that story. Usually a company will pivot once or instead of moving 90 degrees, they maybe pivot 20 degrees and can become a big outcome. These guys just, they made wholesale changes in the company and, and they were able to thrive. That's rare. I'm curious about sort of whether it's particularly difficult to do that when certainly there's a lot of, um, a lot of, of, push to grow at a certain rate, you know, that you, you have yeah. to grow really quickly and get there quickly. Again, the difference, the distinction is the difference between early stage and maybe mid and late stage. At early stage, most, most experienced early stage investors understand that where you started is not going to be where you end up. So we understand that 
we need to really be patient until we find that market, that, that perfect, that perfect storm of market timing and, and product market fit and market size. And when we do that, we can press on the gas, but not until then. So the expectations for growth really don't come until you find that, that perfect recipe. Yeah. That definitely makes you just sense. Can't use, you just can't use a ton of capital to get there. And when you do get there, then you can really, you know, press on the gas. And then you can think about um, go-to-market strategy and how to get customers efficiently. So that's a good segue, actually, to talk about marketing and go-to-market. Uh, and I'm curious if you have a perspective about sort of what, what marketing is and kind of when it comes into play and how, how and when companies need to be thinking about it. Oh, this is such an it depends answer. Uh, and it also, to the point you're making, what marketing is completely depends on the company. Uh, in a lot of, I'd say that this is true of both enterprise and consumer. Those early days are incredibly critical in getting market feedback and getting that customer feedback. So it's less about performance marketing at the, at the early days. That is how much I pay for a customer to come in. Um, it's much more about what are the features that, my customer, that are causing my customers to use this product once and then come back and come back and come back without having me have to pay to acquire that customer again. So those early days should be spent in very close communication and contact with the customers, whether it's enterprise or consumer, and really diving into what the features are, what the mechanics are of the product that, um, that are enticing to customers, that are attractive to customers, and what are aspects of the product that are less needed, and what are aspects of the, the product that you don't have yet that, that really need to be put in place. So that marketing at that early stage is much more about product marketing than it is Marcom. Once you get to that level and you can hopefully uh, understand, you, you hopefully get to the point where you've, the recipe is right. Then you can think about what is you know, now called traditional performance marketing. What input of dollar do I have to put in to get the output that I want in terms of revenue? and user economics. So um, I'm curious if there are any particular, since um, you're investing in both consumer and enterprise, if there are any kind of crossover lessons or, you know, any perspective um, about sort of, um, certainly they're different, but where maybe one can learn something from the other. I mean, one area that I think about is maybe brand, which is something a lot of B2B companies don't usually invest in. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yes, yes. It's not until companies are what we consider at scale that there's, that you're really thinking about branding on the enterprise side. Um, because you're so thinking at, let's say, from zero to $20 million in revenue. You're, you're thinking about how do I acquire that customer? How do I retain that customer? How do I leverage that customer for other customers? It's still, and it always will be, right? But you're still in the trenches with respect to marketing. But the branding aspect comes a little bit later when you can start thinking about 
uh, how partnerships can be leveraged and who the potential acquirers are and getting in front of those acquirers. So, yeah, that is a lot different than on the consumer side, for sure. Um, So we're sort of uh, getting towards the end of our uh, podcast. I wanted to basically ask you two questions to end that up. The first one is... Go for it. You have a reputation for spotting tech trends. Do you have any advice for founders on what areas they should be looking at? <laughs> I thought you'd um, like that one. I will t- That's funny. Um, <laughs> I am. So, so how can I put this? I want founders to focus on what they are passionate about. If I am telling a founder what to do, then I have the wrong founder. Um, uh, the founder needs to be the, I'll go back to religious zealotry, uh, unfortunately or fortunately. The founder needs to be the Pope, right? They need to be that person who can guide and can inspire and can execute, not me. So the founder is at the heart of the company. They, they really are the, the lifeblood of the company, whether or not that, comp- that founder is an executor or not. They continue to be that. So I'm rather than me telling companies, telling founders what to do and what where to focus, I would much rather have a founder come in to me and say and tell me um, why to believe in them. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, is there anything we didn't cover? Any last bits of advice? If you could leave startup founders with one piece of advice, what would that be? So. Where I often see companies succeed and fail is in that kind of mid-stage juncture where companies have had several customers come in the door, buy their product, play with their product. And this is true in the enterprise or consumer side. The biggest issue is that jump between early customer traction and scale. So think a lot in those early days about what, and I mentioned this before, what keeps customers coming back and coming back and using your product? So the reason that Facebook, for instance, has been so successful is people come back to it multiple times a day, whether it's through the notifications or whether it's to see their friends. Or, and this is true of social media generally, not just Facebook. I'm not saying that the, you know, the only company that you should fund is a social networking company. This is absolutely true of enterprise companies. What is in your product that is irreplaceable to customers? What, what is in your product that customers use multiple times a day or an hour or a minute? And if you can find that, you have a huge business. That is a perfect note to end on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So great to have you, Maha. It's been great. Thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate her point of view and her perspective on things. She's been with New Canaan for 18 years as a general partner. She definitely knows her stuff. She has been around the block, as they say. And this point of view that she has around creating a relationship between you and the CEO, or you as the CEO and her as the investor, and also really thinking about how she tailors her advice and the solutions to help you with your challenges, getting that early stage feedback, um, helping you to be the lifeblood of the organization and how she can encourage, support and, and engage with that. And then also her point of view on how big is the market that you're going after and what does that really look like? 
And then her quote that I just love is this idea of the most common mistake is to make a commitment to your product from day one. Most companies feel like we've picked a path and this is the path we're on and she's here to debunk that myth. If you would like to hear more from her, of her, about her, well, you can go to the website. That's Kanan.com. That's C-A-N-A-A-N. Once again, C-A-N-A-A-N.com. You can also follow her on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Let me give you the LinkedIn. It's M-A-H-A-I. That's Maha, and I is her last name. Certainly follow her, listen to her, uh, keep close tabs on her because she is definitely one to know. Thank you again for listening today. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Listen to next week's show as we get Stephen Mankoff to come in and talk as our last investor voice, and then we'll recap. All right, thanks. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.